This is Tech Talk with your host, Tom Dioria. Tom will spend the next hour making your life with technology a little easier with explanations of the different aspects of today's technology and how it can benefit your home, small office, or enterprise. Now here's your host, Tom Dioria. Welcome to IMI's Tech Talk. Uh, It's the first Sunday of November. Uh, It's November 2nd, 2014. We just changed our clocks. So we're on at 5 p.m. in the New York listening area, but since Arizona hasn't bought into daylight saving time, it's still 3 o'clock in Arizona. Today we're live from our New York offices, and we're going to have a really interesting uh, show for you, whether you're a novice to technology, just getting into it in school, or been out there for a while. We're going to talk about boot camps, investing, and tech talent in New York City. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting show, so I think you want to get your uh, recorder on or uh, go to our archive site. I'm Tom Diori. I'm the CEO of Information Methods Incorporated, and together with our weekly guests, our show will help our listeners, whether we're a business or home technology user, make many useful aspects of technology. Just in case you're a first-time listener, in our first segment, Tech Talk provides you a review of last week's most significant events in technology. We start with an increased coverage of New York's technology scene, and we follow this with an industry-wide report, which could contain information on conferences, announcements by vendors, new releases of software or equipment, or new contract opportunities. One or more guests follow this for many aspects of business and industry. And if you wish us to consider a topic for a future show, you can email suggestions to TechTalk, that's T-E-C-H-T-A-L-K, at imi-us.com, and we'll get back to you pretty quickly. Anytime after our show introduction, please give us a call or send an email message with questions on today's topic or anything else we might be able to help you with. You can call 277-KFNX, that's 277-5369. And if you're outside the 602 listening area, call us toll-free at 1-866-536-1100. You can also use that email address I gave you, techtalk at imi-us.com, to send us questions. We monitor that throughout the show, and if we don't get you on today's show, we'll definitely send you a response and possibly uh, put it on next week's show. And we're also being simulcast on the web, so if you can't get to your radio and you have to listen to us live, you can go to KFNX's website, which is 1100kfnx.com. If you want to listen to this show again or any of our previous shows, you can go to our website, which is imi-us.com. In the upper right-hand corner is the Tech Talk button. Click on that. You can download the shows, listen to them as many times as you want, send them to your friends. It's free, so please take advantage of that. And please call any time during the show, and we'll try and get you on as quickly as possible. Okay, the first segment is how we can review it to increase coverage of technology events in New York City and around the world. It's compiled by Dan Dioria, Dave Brandon, and Jose Batista. Free broadband for public housing in New York sought as a condition in the Comcast deal. So a group of New York politicians is lobbying Comcast to provide free broadband to all city public housing residents and expand other low-cost internet offerings as a condition for the cable operator's proposed $45 billion merger with Time Warner. Led by New York City's public advocate, Letitia James and City Councilman Ben Callos, 
The group of state and local politicians is calling on Comcast to help bridge the so-called digital divide between people who have access to broadband connections and those who do not. According to the Knight Foundation, about a third of New York City families do not have broadband. We mentioned to to you last week, and we're going to do a show on this in the next couple of weeks, but the Intrepid Sea, Air, and Space Museum in uh, New York City opened uh, the Hubble at 25 exhibit. Uh, We met with Eric Boheme, the museum's curator of aviation, and former NASA astronaut Mike Massimino, uh, who is also a star of the Big Bang Theory. Um, And the exhibit's really interesting, brings you almost into space yourself. Uh, there are things there from uh, that have been in space. Uh, there's a whole tool ex- exhibit that shows you, like, um, a drill here on Earth that you would use or have in your house versus the comparable things they use in space. So it's pretty interesting. So uh, it's at the uh, Intrepid, which is on uh, 12th Avenue in New York, and I suggest you take your family there. We have some other stuff here to tell you about New York City. The de Blasio administration announced the appointment of Eman Ra Miraski as the city's chief analytics officer, taking over the role pioneered by Michael Flowers under the Bloomberg administration. The appointment comes months after local technology advocates first complained about the administration's slow pace of technology-related appointments. Uh, Masaroski was... Most recently, the chief technology officer at the U.S. Office of Personnel Management, where he led a team working on implementing the White House federal data plan and worked on creation of a data analytics platform for recruiting and hiring federal employees. As the head of the mayor's office of data analytics, which is part of the mayor's office of operations, under the supervision of Director Mindy Tarlow, uh, Masaroski will collaborate on joint projects with the recently named Chief Technology Officer Minerva Tantaco and Ann Rost, who is the Commissioner of the Department of Information Technology and Telecommunications. Okay, Tuesday is Election Day. I certainly hope you all get out there and vote. Um, We're not uh, advocating uh, who to vote for, but it's important that you exercise your right to vote. And uh, if New Yorkers vote to approve Proposition Number 2 on the ballot next week, their 213 legislators will join the digital age. The desks in the ornate chambers of the Capitol will have computers instead of fixed stacks of bills. Many other states have already made such efforts, but New Yorkers' change has required a number of hurdles because its constitution requires bills to be printed and upon the desks of lawmakers for three days before they can be passed a good business for the printers. The change is expected to save millions of dollars in printing, not a good thing for the printers, making uh, many trees and landfill space. But there are concerns, including ensuring everybody is posting on Facebook or playing digital poker when they're supposed to be making laws. I don't know if anybody's been to the Albany to see what they do up there. I'm not sure this is an editorializing that it would make any difference. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. It's Proposition number two. Merchant Customer Exchange, a.k.a. MCX, which is the coalition of retailers, including Walmart, Best Buy, Gap, and others, who are backing a mobile payment solution, Currency, meant to rival newcomer Apple Pay, have been hacked. The data breach involves the theft of email addresses, 
but the currency mobile application is not affected, uh, the company confirms. Uh, MCX says that uh, it learned that unauthorized third parties obtained the email addresses of some of its current pilot program participants and other individuals who had expressed interest in the app. The group has now notified its merchant partners about the incident and is uh, communicating directly with those individuals whose email addresses were involved. Keep an eye on that if you're involved in that. And finally, the dictum, please turn off your all your cell phones at your local movie theater may soon be expanded to include Google Google glasses, smartwatches, GoPros, life logging cameras, and the cast of thousands of other wearables. Uh, the Motion Picture Association of America with the National Association of Theater Owners, which represents 32,000 screens across the U.S., have issued a zero-tolerance policy on wearable devices capable of recording video due to concerns over piracy. So we'll see where that goes. We're going to take a break. This is Tom Dioria. We're on IMI's Tech Talk on uh, KFNX AM 1100. Uh, We're going to get to our guest. We're going to talk to you about how to be an entrepreneur in New York City and what's going on in technology here. And uh, we're going to keep reiterating this, but Tuesday's Election Day, so get out there and vote. Tom Dioria, and uh, please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk, uh, November 2nd, 2014. We changed our clock, so we're on at 5 p.m. in the New York listening area. And today we're going to be discussing, as I mentioned to you before the break, boot camps, investing, and tech talent in New York City. Our guest today is David Yang, and we're going to be talking to him about this. He's been building and managing New York NYC engineering tech teams uh, for many years at companies like Recycle Bank, Guild Group, Brightwire Media. David uh, has previously worked as an engineer at Microsoft, IBM, Yahoo, and Deloitte Consulting, but fell in love with the energy and spirit of teaching coding through Full Stack Academy. David, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you very much, Tom. I'm very excited to be here. Before we get started on the topic, what's Full Stack Academy? Fullstack Academy is what is coming to be known as an accelerated learning program. Our primary product for students is 13 intense weeks where they're here every day from you know, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and afterwards learning how to program and afterwards we help connect them with great technology job in either New York City, San Francisco or you know, we've had students come from and go to all over the world. That sounds fantastic. We'll come back to that later in the interview but since we're trying to compare here, how does New York City nowadays compare to Silicon Valley? We all know that Silicon Valley was the technology hub of the country, but I gather New York is uh, giving them a good run for their money. <laughs> yeah, definitely. My co-founder and I, we both come from Silicon Valley. We were at Yahoo in its heyday back in 2006. I've been building companies here for the last seven or eight years. I would say um, you know, New York City... One thing it has is just an amazing diversity of, of talent. People here from finance, healthcare, fashion, retail, and, um, and other industries. And you don't get that as much in Silicon Valley. It's, um, it's much more homogenous out there. 
you know, I was just at this event this afternoon called Launch LM, and one of the state assemblymen, Sheldon Silver, he was funding this entire space in New York City and meeting all the different companies there. It's really impressive to see the kind of companies that can be built in New York City because of this diversity of talent. Pretty impressive that it's gotten that high up in the state government. If you're into technology, why is the type of training that you're talking about advantageous to this process? How does that play into this whole making New York the hub of technology in the United States? Uh, you know, it's, a, it's a, a bunch of interesting trends we're seeing. Is, um, one thing is that our students that come out of programs that are not your traditional you know, computer science student, they bring some excellence from a different field. And so they might have previously been design or in product management. And by coming into programming, it's it's a really powerful mix. You know, you take someone who's good at something else, you add programming to the list of talents, and then they're just a different kind of programmer than someone you might who just traditionally you know grew up programming only. And I think that it's um you know what what I'm seeing a lot in in tech right now is that there's two kinds of recruiting you can do, right? You can kind of do the mercenary recruiting where you're going out and just paying top dollar for the best talent. And this is kind of what's been happening in New York City for a while. And what we're really excited about is putting new talent onto the market. You know, p- people who have never considered this as a curve before, and they're coming with fresh eyes, fresh ideas, and, and fresh energy. David, you talk about programming, and I may be getting ahead of myself here, but I know what programming is because before you were born, I was <laughs> teaching I was teaching Fortran programming. Nobody who's oh, listening wow. to this show has any clue what Fortran programming is. But what, type, what do you mean by programming? By programming, I mean Fortran is... Um, Believe it or not, you know we still see it being used quite a bit in the uh, in certain industries. But programming, large, um, large and large these days means um, web programming, mobile programming, um, developing applications that you know are being used you know line of business for for consumers. And so, when what we teach and what uh, we see the most demand for is people who can build products that are distributed primarily you know online in the app stores of Apple and Google. Um, and even now, we're seeing a lot of demand for people who are good into hardware. But of course, we know hardware is, is now increasingly augmented by by software, the software that it runs on. Things like, you know, the Nest thermostat that people have at home. Um, I mean, even your car now has a pretty com- advanced computer that you know you're interacting with, even just to change your radio station. And so we've seen students go into um, all kinds of fields uh, along those lines. But primarily, it's you know, graphical user interface, web interface applications that businesses and, um, you know, businesses they want to build. If um, I'm a tech firm mentor, how do they keep this engineering talent that they're going to get from you? The easiest thing that a company can do right now, and this is something that I I kept seeing as engineering manager, is just make training either a part or a bigger part of their budget. Um, I'm reminded of that quote where the CFO says, you know, um, what if we train our talent and they all leave? And the CEO says, well, what if we don't and they all stay? And I think that companies should put a few thousand dollars per year into you know, sending their engineers back for training, back for conferences. Um, I think it's, it's a critical part of, of keeping people and growing people. And the second thing I think is that, you know, I'm personally a big believer in in giving people good boundaries and then letting them push themselves inside those boundaries. You know, I've seen time again people rise to the occasion 
I'm a big believer in like human ingenuity to kind of solve problems, and uh, I believe in the opposite of what I guess people call the Peter principle. Right? It's like if we don't let people try something, then how will we and, and uh, they know that they can't do it? That's a good point. I th- I think the uh, things that you mentioned at the beginning, which some people might think is a, a boondoggle, really is something that's important to the development of uh, of up and coming uh, staff, whether they're engineers or in other areas of the firm is to send them to conferences so they're meeting other people uh, and learning about what the real, the whole world or the whole area of their uh, current job uh, situation is so that they really branch out personally. I mean, that that plays a big role because it shows them the company's thinking about them. Is that what you find? Yeah, I think that the energy that people get from going to to conferences and going to places where they're meeting other people is exactly like, like you said. It's it, they view it as both investment the company is making to them. They bring back new innovative ideas that other people are doing and, and you know, best practices. It's a it's such a great investment of time and energy. Of course, you know people can also go to conferences as boondoggles, but um, generally people that you know I've hired, I've worked with, and I've met at conferences were there in a sincere earnesty of trying to trying to improve both their own lot and their company's lot. The other risk you have is that they're out there looking for another job, but uh, yeah. hopefully, that, <laughs> hopefully that's not the case. So, so getting back to the whole New York versus Silicon Valley, how is the investment environment been in New York? You just mentioned that somebody, is, Silver is from the, not the Senate, right? But he's the he's the head of one of the branches of governments in New York. How's how's that yes. whole investment environment uh, in New York? I've raised money here three times, and uh, it's 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 definitely been changed a lot in the last um, last several years. And you know, I think the one thing that I see that New York City and New York State are doing is that they they are investing an incredible amount of time and energy into helping companies grow here. And I think that that's um, you know they do a lot of events where they connect investors, strategic companies and partners with startups. And I think that that's something that you don't see in Silicon Valley as much. I don't think Silicon Valley, you know, I don't think the government there is, they're, they're pretty hands-off, you know. They, think that the, um, they, they know they have an engine. They almost just, like, don't want to touch it. I think that, you know, one thing that's interesting about New York City is that I don't think that they're, you know, I could be completely wrong, is that New York City needs to have, like, a first, its first $10 billion or $100 billion company come out of New York City and um, and stay here. That's you know I see some potential companies out there, but until we get a Google or a Facebook, it's gonna it's gonna you know kind of limit the amount of financing that can kind of reflow back into the environment. But in general, I'm very positive about the investments that that the government that people are making here. Um, one thing I'm especially excited about is Cornell Tech. I think it's a great kind of synthesis of government of edu- the traditional education system of of entrepreneurs, and it's going to do a lot for, for the environment here. I'm excited about programs like ours. There's a bunch of great ones in New York City that are putting a lot of people into the um, technology ecosystem. And it's a great place to start a company. I think what New York City and, you know, what we're trying to figure out is, can New York City also be a great place to scale a company? Right? I see so many times companies start here and then they move out to the valley. I think that's got to change for us to to create a, like a Silicon Valley of the East Coast or to make us a you know, Silicon Alley on our own. All that thought, I want to get back to that, and especially about what Cornell's doing. This is Tom DiOrio, we're on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100, 
It's uh, the 2nd of November, 2014. We're on IMI's Tech Talk. This is KFNX AM 1100. Please stay tuned. We're going to do the international uh, news, and we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Dioria. And uh, we're talking to David Yang about boot camps, investing, and tech talent in New York City. And before the break, David was telling us about uh, some of the uh, really exciting things that are happening in New York to really enhance the whole environment uh, for tech startups and beyond. And tell us, uh, you mentioned Cornell. What, what are they doing? I know they, they've gotten some kind of a lease on one of the islands and they're building mm-hmm. stuff, but... What's that all about? So the, uh, so my understanding of it is that Bloomberg uh, opened up a contest to have all the you know great universities of the world apply and say, let's build a great campus for technology in New York City. You know, some could we build the next MIT here? Um, and you know, Cornell, Stanford, everyone threw in proposals, and and Cornell won out. And I think, as you mentioned, they're they're leasing. Uh, what is that island called? It's Roosevelt Island, and they're going to build. A campus for for technology um, do you know the, com- the complete kind of college master's programs PhD research and combine that into you know another great center in New York City you know, similar to Columbia Engineering NYU Engineering uh, building another great school here. So that so there are a lot of potential places that um, we used to call them incubators that. Uh, those people that want to be uh, innovative and entrepreneurial uh, can go to. Now, since it's Cornell, is it the type of thing where you have to take a, have to be matriculated and take courses, or is it just an environment for startup? One of our students here, actually, his mother is a professor there, Dr. Estrin, uh, and, and they, I met her because our, some of our students went there for a hackathon. And so I think that what they're trying to do is really, you know, Offer both, like you're saying, like you know, the great curriculum that universities are, are known for, right? Deep research, deep theory, combined with with the incubator idea of how can we really productize and get this kind of theory into the market as um, effectively as possible. And so, you know, they're very early on. I think they're still kind of renting out of space out of Google. And so, you know, I don't know if they have any big hits yet, but I think that this is a great way to. Um, for the government to be involved in helping, you know, people build out big ideas, and and that their main goal will be to kind of combine both, which is which, which is hard to do. It's hard to have you know theory and practice together mixed well. Now you 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 also mentioned the uh, the issue of companies scaling, and they might start out here, but then they head toward uh, Silicon Valley. Is that because that's where more money is, or are there other reasons? It's a uh, two things is um, one is money for sure, and then the other is is talent. You know, New York City, like I mentioned, has great amount of talent, but there's there's so many companies in Silicon Valley: Google, eBay, you know, Microsoft, um, Yahoo, just and even like companies now like Dropbox, Airbnb. They just the pool of talent there is so deep that if you're trying to build a company to go from you know a thousand engineers to ten thousand engineers. In the Valley, you can find that kind of talent. In New York, it's, it's more difficult. Uh, and so I think that's one thing that... But this is, you know, this is kind of that stage of 
going from a, a hundred million dollar business to a billion dollar business um, and, and beyond. I think that it's you know from everything I've talked to with other CTOs and it's just easier to do in the valley if you looking if you're desperate for talent. Um, money, I think there's there's you know VCs that I've talked to. They're definitely now very bicoastal in their thinking. They know that New York City has great companies coming out of here, but the the talent question is really what's kind of the, the main uh, the main differentiator. What will it take, based on your experience, for New York to provide that environment? You know, I think New York is New York City and and state are they're, they're doing everything right, and they've set up this kind of um, tinderbox for something to happen. And now, you know, what we all we need now is like a, the next hundred billion, ten billion dollar company to grow up here. And I, I see some companies out there, you know, things ZocDoc. MongoDB, Guild Group, which you know I was a part of. I met some companies today like Drogo Five. They're all kind of ready to explode, and and once they do, then we'll have um, you know from that a thousand new, a hundred new startups will will spring up, and then that's a you know that's a great kind of re- repeating cycle. Um, so I think it's very close to happening here. It, it's not already happening, um, but that's what that would be to me like the clear sign that there's a Google in New York. There's a you know the new Google's in New York City, and it grows up here brings the talent here, develops the talent here. Pretty interesting. Now, what's the Y Combinator? So the Y Combinator is a, is a really interesting program. It's, it's a, as you mentioned, it's an uh, incubator slash accelerator. They've built some um, amazing companies. You know, it, so the, the mechanics of it is that you apply as a startup, and you go out there, and they give you around 20000 in uh, funding in return for usually about 6 to 7% of your company, and they provide mentorship, um, help with skip building and you know growing your company, and it's a three month program. And they've created some amazing startups like like Dropbox and Airbnb. Um, those are the two biggest hits. And you see things like Heroku, Zetafits, also um, also kind of big companies growing out of Y Combinator. And uh, it's it's helmed by this guy named Paul Graham, who's kind of considered a guru in the startup space. He's an amazing person, and then uh, just got an gr- amazing network, um, both you know in New York and Silicon Valley. What's the most important thing you've learned from that? I think the uh, and this is what Paul Graham you know keeps telling everyone is that you know don't overcomplicate building a startup. You know what he says is just make something that people want. And I think you know founders all they try to overcomplicate things, talk about you know all kinds of tactics, but um, basically the strategy is you know if you can get something to market that people want, then all those other things can be figured out. And the other thing I think that's really important is that being honest with your co-founders is, is a you know that's a, that's the main thing that I think kills startups early on is that there's some disagreement or some latent issues between founders that that they allow to you know fester underneath. Um, but yeah, those are kind of the key things. Is that it's not really it's difficult, but it's not people you know they optimize the wrong things early on. One of the things that during the uh dot-com bubble burst, I saw, even when there was tons of money pouring in, one of the other problems was the lack of management. Do they, you know, mm-hmm. you had these people with great ideas, really technical, had no clue about how to manage the company, the money, the people, and that's my feeling as to why that whole problem occurred. Are these... Um, Groups and organizations that we've been talking about help the entrepreneur with that. Yeah, I think you know management is something that um, 
that is, you know, managing management of engineers has always been a traditionally very difficult problem, primarily because estimating kind of thought work is, you know, I'm I'm sure all of your listeners will know, estimating thought work is um, incredibly difficult and hard to get right. Um, organizations like Y Combinator, they do provide mentorship in, you know, how do you recruit people, how do you keep them. Um, they also connect you with some of the best, you know, minds out, out there. As far as the dot-com boom and the mismanagement that happened there, it's hard for me. I, I was just in, in uh, college in the dot-com boom, so I didn't experience it firsthand. I don't think we're seeing a repeat of that kind of, you know, frenzy. I think we're, we're seeing a different, um, a different kind of um, pattern, fact pattern happening for, for this current, current boom. Okay, yeah, I wasn't uh, trying to say that the current uh, boom is going to go in that direction, just that that was my feeling when I was uh, working with some of these companies that they really didn't quite understand uh, how to make it work. Um, Do you feel that that lesson that you learned is the most important thing that entrepreneurs should know before they start, or are there other things that they should have in there, like a business plan? Um, before they actually start. Oh, yeah. Um, And I'm going to give you one minute to answer that question, and then we'll come back after the break and pick it up. Okay. I would say that, you know, the thing I would tell founders is that everyone says it's hard, and we know it's hard, but once you're in it, it's still harder than you expect when you start it. And the the other thing I think that founders get wrong is that too many get founders, you know, they're, they're stuck building the product instead of building the company. And I think this goes to what you said earlier, right? They're not managing the people, they're managing the product itself. And um, you know, so it's a very hard line to walk, but founders, you know, who want to build big companies, they need to get out of that and learn that building a company is really about building the people who are in that company. Okay, we're going to take another break. Uh, we're talking to David Yang about boot camps, investing in tech talent in New York City. I'm Tom Diori. This is IMI's Tech Talk. We're on KFNX AM 1100. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Dioria. And we're talking to David Yang about boot camps, investing, and tech talent in New York City. And uh, I cut David off when we were talking about um, what's important for entrepreneurs to know before they start. And was there anything else that you wanted to throw in there uh, before we move on? I think, you know, the, the last thing I would say is that what I've, what I've seen time again is that raising money from venture capital, it feels great, but you have to view that as a, as a milestone, not as a, um, sorry, not as a milestone. You know, it's important to, sometimes in the, in good times, it's important to realize that building a company is really much more about than just raising money. And I see that, I see people come, come to me all the time and says, my goal is if I just raise money, this will be amazing. But I, I tell them that that's hardly ever the case. So we mentioned at the beginning, that you started Full Stack Academy, and you gave us a little brief overview of what it is. Why did you start it? And tell us a little bit more about it. Well, you know, going back to what I was talking about earlier, is that you know, tech hiring it really it can't be in my mind just moving people around. You know, we have to create new new people, new people who are capable of of doing um, the kind of programming we were talking about earlier. And my my friend and I, my my uh, co-founder is uh, his name is Nimit, and um, he and I have been friends for 15 years since the first day of college. 
and we were sitting around talking about the next company that we wanted to build together, and it was like one of those movie scenes where like the solution is like you know the solution's obvious and we just weren't getting it, and we kept talking about wow hiring people is really hard, you know we should building this company would be hard to get the right talent, and then finally we were like you know what we just really need to go out there and, and solve this problem right build the talent that we we want to find out there, and you know we we also both realized that. Um, one of the things that we love and continue to, to love is teaching and mentoring people. And and my favorite thing in the world right now is I get a call from a student who's about a month, you know, on their first job, and they're super excited about you know everything they've been doing. And uh, you know, I get a lot of those calls now, but that feeling never gets old of of helping someone get to a different point in their life. Got to be uh, impressive. That's why I like teaching because you could see people advancing. Um, what's a boot camp and do you get the feeling that you've been seeing a lot of them pop up? Yeah, so this, you know, this um, so boot camp is kind of the colloquial term for what I talked about earlier, the accelerated learning program. And I think that it's um, there have been a lot in the last um, last several years or year or two, and um, you know they're coming up because every you know it is really difficult to hire good engineers right now. Um, you know, if you think about the last twenty years, this whole industry has been created, right? Billion dollar companies left and right, and. Um, but I think also that movie, The Social Network, it it made a lot of people cognizant of that you know, startups can be fun, they can be very engaging to work at. And, you know, I'm not personally as big of a fan of, there's a lot of like fear-mongering in the industry of saying that, like, you know, the whole code or be coded or software is eating the world. But I can I can see where people kind of feel that, right? We feel that a lot of jobs out there are going to be replaced by computers doing those jobs, right? Even things like Google self-driving car. Um, we see things like, you know, the democratization of marketplaces like with Uber and TaskRabbit. It's a, I think people sense that, that change is afoot, like deep societal change, and coding is going to be part of that. Um, and also, I think, you know, personally, people find a lot of joy in coding. They, it feels like, you know, it, it engages a part of our brain that is very deep and cares about, you know, problem solving and making the world, you know, marginally better. I think that coding is a, a great way to engage with that part of your brain. And so I think that's why, you know, coding has become very popular, and then, and then boot camps have have come up to address that that interest, that growing interest and in, uh, desire. What level of of people are at Full Stack Academy? You're getting people out of high school, people out of college, people that were in college, people that had another job and want to move into this job. Is it a combination of all of them? You nailed the demographic right on the head. It's a it's a combination of those. I think um, the ones that we see a lot of are people who are you know they went to school for something. They went to a you know great school, studied a great thing, and then. They found out that they are passionate about this early on, and their options right now are: you know, do I go back to school for four years at a co- at a significant cost of time and, uh, and expense? Um, are they, you know, can I, they, they see something like this, and like this answers the question that I that I have. Um, we also see people who are you know either leaving college or putting college on hiatus because they want to say, you know, I've been I've been studying computer science for two years and I still can't put my own website up. Like that doesn't feel right to me, and so they'll come to our program. And then either go out and get a job, or they go back to school and they just they appreciate, you know, why the deep theory is important now. And then we also get people who are, you know, they've they started on a site like Code, Acad- Code Academy, they wrote a few little programs, and like wow, this is really what I want to do with my life. And they'll come and, um, you know, it's just a pure retraining for a new job type of um, type of candidate. Tell us a little bit about. Uh, we don't want this to be a sales pitch, but what differentiates what you're doing at Full Stack from other coding boot camps? I think you had touched a little bit on what differentiates you from uh, a college degree program because you're giving people more real-life training, but correct me if I'm wrong. 
I think um, the biggest differentiator I think we have is that we have a deep focus on on quality and outcome. And I think that that is, you know, represented by the kind of the, the instructors we hire, the size of the classes that we keep at, the students that we admit. So that's one thing that, that we focus on. A, a more superficial um, differentiator is that we actually teach an entirely different programming language than almost every other boot camp. Uh, so we teach JavaScript versus most schools teach um, a different language called Ruby on Rails. Um, and, you know, we, we pick JavaScript for a few of its kind of unique features, one being that it's, it's in my mind, one of the programming languages that will be kind of the, the most ubiquitous in the next 10 years. And, um, you know, I think we're seeing the market value that, that, that choice the farther we go along. So I have one more question for you, but before uh, we run out of time, tell our listeners um, how they can get in touch with you, what your website is, uh, just in case they want to follow up or enroll. All right, that's uh, appreciate that. My uh, my contact email is David at fullstackacademy.com. dot com. Um, that's also our website, fullstackacademy.com. dot com, and and you can follow us on Twitter at fullstack or, or me personally at dang. Um, I don't tweet that much. I'm not I'm not great at at social media, but um, that's kind of the main place that I'm online at. The last question I have is: you mentioned JavaScript. Just in thirty seconds. Tell our listeners why and what they would do with that, what it is, how that fits into the whole picture, just in case they're really not into this yet. I think the analogy that I use is that, you know, when you're learning to code, there's two ways to learn how to code, right? You can either, there's two ways to learn how to build like a skyscraper. You can either be an architect or you can train as an archaeologist. And what JavaScript allows us to do is it allows us to give people like these small little tools that they can go out and build whatever they want. They can create hardware, they can make websites, they can, you know, do the front end, back end. And um, I think it's just a much more fun and fast way to learn by constantly building things, failing, and then trying to get better. And then, like, teaching a different tool where you might spend a lot of time learning the tool itself. JavaScript is a very simple, it's almost deceivingly simple, but it, the, its greatest feature is that it runs everywhere. You know, it's the language of the, of the browser, the web browser, and, you know, it's like it attaches itself to probably the, the best horse in history. So that's why we teach it, and that's why I think it's a great tool to learn with. On that note, I want to thank you for being on the show, David. And one of the things that David mentioned at the beginning Programming, uh, learning programming not only teaches you uh, the technology that you're learning, but it teaches you how to think. And I think that's uh, something that people may lose sight of, but it's really an important life learning tool. So, David, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Next week, we're going to be live from our New York offices, and we're going to be talking to you about women and minorities in technology. I want to thank Terry Ruggiero, I am Vice President Dave Brandon, Dandy Oria, and Jose Batista for the Week in Review. Taylor Redden's our producer, Matt Campagni's our executive producer. And without Robert Bomback in the KFNX AM 1100 production department, you wouldn't hear a word we said. Thanks again for listening. And please don't forget to tune into Tech Talk next week at 5 p.m. in New York on KFNX AM 1100. And remember to send us your suggestions for future shows or ask us questions by sending an email to techtalk at imi-us.com. Have a great week, and thanks again for listening. And don't forget to go out and vote for whomever you're going to vote for on Tuesday.